welcome to this week's episode of Seen It All, where we break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. And the big movie of this week is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I am so happy I get to talk about a Marvel movie on here that I love. As you know, the past movie that I talked about on here was Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumanium. I really did not like this movie, but this, this movie I did. Um, first of all, I'd say this movie is a lot. It's a lot. It's a very emotional film that, that made me cry multiple times. I think... I think it was the fact that this would be the last time I see these group of people together ever again, and that it really struck me hard there those last 15 minutes. Ooh, I, I didn't want to say goodbye to all these people, especially since James Gunn is leaving to go to D.C., so you know, really, most of these people we aren't going to see again. But more on a story level, though, I thought this film was weaker than the previous two. I really, I truly, I truly love the second Guardians of the Galaxy film, and I think it's one of the best films of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the first one... The, the, the first one I love too, but it's not in that upper echelon like I think the second one is. Talking about fathers and sons and, oh, Yondu's death. Oh, it just that movie just worked on all cylinders for me, especially the soundtrack too. And I probably have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 close to the first one, but I think right behind it. So I think it's probably my least favorite of the, of the trilogy, but it's still a really good movie. The emotional moments and the conclusions for these characters was just perfect. But the way we got there kind of felt a little messy. So I want to talk about the messy bits first before I just before I just uh, gush gush about this movie. So, first of all, this movie did not need to be two and a half hours long, especially that first hour, which I wasn't really paying attention to my watch because I was very narrowed in, worried that some of them were going to die in the beginning. But it it dragged a lot. Um, we would get some very emotional stuff in the beginning, and then we would have the side chat with some random dudes. Like, there's a scene in the organism, or, organism company thing. Not exactly sure what it was called totally but it could have been trimmed down if not entirely cut out of the film like they could have just explained some expedition to cut out that whole scene i didn't think it was necessary and same goes for the opening one shot guardians galaxy films always open with a song playing as we take like a as a one shot and the first movie they had peter quill listening to come and get your love and then the second one you had Groot running around listening to mr blue sky and both those were great but here it kind of felt drawn out and it definitely needed to be cut down significantly maybe it was just because it was more of a downer opening scene and less played for comedy and more just like setting you up where these characters are but I felt like it just didn't need to be long, as long as it did and I didn't I didn't I wasn't gelling with it also I wasn't a huge fan of the high evolutionary as a villain it felt like every time he was on screen he was just monologuing and it got tiresome they even the characters pointed out his monologuing in a couple of scenes and I was like oh we get it I know what he wants to do I get his motives let's move on I want to focus on the characters that I love not him Sometimes you, you want a villain that you can truly love, like Thanos, like you understand his backstory in Killmonger and Loki, but here, I just wanted to focus entirely on my Guardians of the Galaxy because it was the last time I was going to get to see them, so I didn't really care for any of the high evolutionary stuff, but he was he was truly evil, which I'm all for my villains, but he just kept going on and on, and <laughs> as I said, one of the characters pointed it out that he kept monologuing, but I just, I just didn't think he was great, especially when we had Ego in the last film, Kurt Russell. Oh, he was so great. I probably put... Uh, High Evolutionary on the same level as, Ro- as Ronan the Accuser in the first Guardians film, who was nothing special, but he kind of stayed less than this. He's kind of stayed more sidelined than than um, than High Evolutionary did, which I wish he was kind of a little more sidelined. But most of my wrongs stem from that. They <laughs> most of my wrongs stem from the fo- from the, what they wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus more on the main group of Guardians and especially less on Rocket's backstory of friends. All those scenes hit. Those scenes hit really, really hard, especially some of that animal cruelty stuff, which I'll address in a minute. But the transition between the Rocket backstory plotline and the main one, it was just it wasn't really well executed because it kept cutting from one storyline to another, and it was it was not a great rate, and it wasn't at the best parts when they cut. So I just thought they could have done it a lot better how they chose to do it. And a lot of people are saying he should have done a Rocket and Groot movie before this. I'm like, no, there's a way you can fit it in here that makes it flow better. There, I know there's a way. 
And then I give you like a warning. There's lots of animal cruelty. I have to warn. I have to warn you. But some parts it just felt. I'm okay with that stuff. Like I can handle it. Like it wasn't making me squeamish. But some parts it just felt gross for no reason. Like I get the high evolutionary is an awful dude, but I didn't want to look at some things. That, it wasn't that it was dark, which I love dark. I I love dark storytelling. But the designs felt purposely designed to like make someone throw up. It it just it didn't leave a good vibe in my mouth. And I don't. I sometimes I get that with James Gunn. And just it doesn't leave a good vibe in my mouth. <laughs> I know it's supposed to make you feel icky, but not in the way it was presented. There was other ways you could have done it where you weren't staring at something that looked just awful. Absolutely awful. Also, soundtrack just wasn't as good as the first two films. I really loved Volume 2's Volume Two soundtrack, especially. And then Volume 1 was great. But there are some ba- there were some banger songs in here, but they were all put on the trailers. And then the ones that weren't, I've heard a million times in other movies. I didn't even listen to the soundtrack that because it came out early. And I didn't even listen to it. I wanted to save it for the first time I saw a movie. But honestly, you don't need to do that. You can go in and listen to it. I wanted another. In Volume 2, they played the Father and Son song at the end of it. Oh, it was a great song. It, it really made you emotionally connect to it. But there wasn't one like that in this movie. There was a song they played and then it got me emotional, but it was b- more because the scene was happening, not the song itself. So I wish there was, I feel like there could have been better choices for the songs. But now I want to use the positives. The Guardians, man. The Guardians of the Galaxy. They all shine here. There was awesome action scenes that made sure, they made sure to include all the members of the team, which I thought was really cool. Everyone got their time to shine, especially in that opening battle sequence with um, Adam Warlock showed up there. Oh, he was really good in the first opening scene, and then he then he kind of petered off. He didn't mo- do much, but I honestly wasn't expecting going into it. But he was good in the beginning, exactly what I thought it would be. I don't understand. People are kind of upset that he didn't have a ton to do, but I feel like I'd rather focus on our main guardians at this point. And then the final action scene, there's particularly a one-shot in a hallway. Aren't those always the best in Daredevil and John Wick? All the, always the hallway scenes. But they they jump from character to character, and you get to see how their moves interact with one another, and they each get their moment of shine. Oh, so it was it was perfect. It was a perfect last actual scene for the Guardians of the Galaxy. And then Rocket was definitely the main character of this movie, along with Quill, but more Rocket, Rocket more so. And he gets a payoff that he oh so deserved. Um, Drax and Mantis pairing continues to be the highlight of this group for me because I just love them two paired up so much. We got to see him in the holiday special, and then they discontinued that here. Um, Star-Lord was a great leader. He did some crazy stuff, but his storyline was what had the huge emotional impact for me. More than Rocket had the emotional impact for most of the movie, but by the end, I was hit hard by what happened to Star-Lord. Um, it truly hit hard, and it's not in the way you might expect, but dang, it, it really worked for me. And then Nebula, she's come so far from the start of the story in the first one where she was like the villain to what we have now. And she also has some great developments, but her new arm kind of stole the show because it was so cool. Now the action scenes, Rocket, Rocket gave her a nice upgrade and it, it could turn into a blaster, it could control a ship. Oh, it was so cool. She was great. She was kind of became, I don't want to say the mom of the group because I don't want to downgrade her, but she kind of took a more leadership-like role along with Quill, which I thought was great. Uh, Mantis as I said with Drax, was a delight and really brought the emotion. I'm trying not to delve into swears with any of these characters, but the ending scene with her was perfect, and the banter between Drax, Nebula, and her, they get partnered up toward the end. Oh, it really made me come to appreciate all three of them more. They were a great trio towards the end there. There was a lot of infighting in our family of misfits, and they hit a much harder punch than they've ever before, because we love these characters, but it's it's letting them grow. Um, Personally, the hardest punch was Gamora, though. Nebula had some hard ones and so did Mantis, but Gamora more so. Gamora, <laughs> it's very sad that considering Zoe Saldana recently said she's never coming back. And I'll leave it at that, but just say I she's had she's never had cooler action scenes here, but I think I like the role she played in the last two Guardians better than here. I wish that they either permanently killed off Gamora in Avengers Infinity War when he threw her off the ra- threw her to get the Soul Stone. I'd rather have her just stay dead or just never had that happen and just keep her around because I think it would have made a much more emotional movie if she was her true self 
and I'll leave it at that. Not to spoil anything, but I'm I'm I don't want I'm I'm sad to see her go, especially with the ending she got. That Zoe Saldana is never gonna come back, which makes me it's really sad. I don't want to get into it, but it's so sad. Um, but as I said, the last fifteen minutes had me crying so much. As the lights came up, everybody you see everybody's raise their t raise their t-shirts up to wipe their eyes. But it, I'm just so sad to say goodbye to these characters, and they definitely they definitely left with a banger. Um, probably my favorite Marvel movie since Shang Chi and Legend of Ten Rings. That was really good. Um, I I I definitely have to. Get wait to see my final thoughts before I see it again, and I'm not crying for the third of the for a third of the movie, so I can actually see what's happening. So yeah, Marvel fans, I think I think you're gonna enjoy this, and you're definitely not gonna miss out one last ride with the Guardians. And then most of the critics are going enjoying it too. Uh, right now, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three sits at an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the critics that don't like it though are calling it too dark. That dislikes it, but I but the overwhelming majority are loving it. And critics, I thought. That was what you wanted for the MCU to be more dark and less jokey. So aren't you getting what you asked for? But I understand. I understand exactly where they're coming from. They're talking about the animal cruelty, which I thought took it a step too far, and the grossness. Like I understand animal cruelty, but you don't. It, it gets to a part where it's just gross, and I don't need to see that. Um, I'm all here for the dark story storytelling, though. I just gets to a point where it's gross. I don't like gross storytelling. Storytelling. It makes sense. Evil Dead Rise was gross, but you knew what you were getting into that. This, I don't know. I I mean I think there's gross. I think should only be allowed for rated R movies. Honestly, at this point. But the box office looks to come in anywhere from 110 million to 130 million, which is better than the first Guardians 94 million, but under Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2's 145 million. I think this totally has to do with two things. One, the failure of Ant Man and Lost Quantumania. It kind of burned a lot of people for the Marvel Universe. I know definitely my friends, they're like, oh, Ant Man sucks, so I don't know if I'm going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy, but I'm, I'm going to implore them to go see it. And then also, there was a six year gap between Guardians 2 and 3. So I think people would have been much more excited for the film as it had come out. A uh, out the year after Endgame when it was originally planned before all the James Gunn Twitter controversy and his fire and all that stuff. But I think it would have had it would have done a lot better if you had Endgame and then the Last Guardian. So my honestly probably been more emotional. But now we've had to wait a little bit, so the impact gets less and less as the farther you stretch it out. But I think this movie will have legs, unlike the previous Marvel films that were just dropped off, like Wakanda Forever just dropped, Doctor Strange dropped, and Ant Man as you know dropped like seventy percent, biggest drop in all of superheroes or all of film for that matter um i think this is gonna have legs because it's a good movie and i think everybody's gonna be talking about the last guardians film especially with the ending so um uh, i it may not open big but i think it'll have tremendous staying power and i think it's gonna make more more money than all the phase four projects except for maybe spider-man no way home and dr strange multiverse of madness so that's my guardians review um next up i have another review for y'all and that is my peter pan and wendy review First of all, I want to say that the original Peter Pan is probably my favorite classic Disney animated film. I've seen that movie so many times. I love the stories and the characters. It just brings with it a sense of warmth. I am also am iffy on the Disney live-action remakes. I really love when they plus the material. As I said before, they got to plus the material. It's not just a shot-for-shot -shot remake. Let's say I, I have a good analogy here. I want more Jungle Book from the same director, John Favreau. I want more Jungle Book and less The Lion King. Where The Lion King was just shot for shot, the exact original, while Jungle Book added some stuff, and I was like, oh, we have something new here. And there's definitely a lot that can be updated from the animated film, uh, from Peter Pan. Native American portrayals, whew, what makes a red man red? Not a very, not a very timely song, <laughs> if it ever was. And I feel like the role of women in general are, is not portrayed very well, because they're all, they're all jousing for Peter Pan. Tinkerbell and the mermaids, they're all trying to kill each other for Peter Pan, so... It's definitely can at least improve on those variables, and I think they did that, and so much more to actually make a really enjoyable film. It's not a perfect one, I would never say that, but a really, a really enjoyable one, especially when you got towards the latter half. The one thing that they did maybe absolutely adore this film was explore why Peter Pan and Hook hated each other so much. I was watching the beginning of the film, and I was questioning why the two fight, fought the entire time, 
And I was like, wait, did we ever figure out why they fought? <laughs> when I was younger, I just thought it was grown up versus kid, which is the story, really. But I never really thought to ask much more than that. As I said, it's been a little bit since I've seen the original Peter Pan. But the idea they set forth here is what truly made this remake special. The idea and the performance of Jude Law. Yes, Jude Law plays Captain Hook, and he is amazing. Every scene with him had me captivated. He's probably my favorite Disney villain of all time now. Captain Hook is. Just because of the original portrayal, and then Jude Law's over here making it amazing. He's up there right next to Hades and Maleficent and maybe Ursula. We'll see how Melissa McCarthy does. Um, there's one line that he says towards the end of the film that actually kind of ripped my heart out. In another world, he would have been totally been the hero of the story. There's a way you could write this where Hook is the villain. Um, <laughs> and I love, I love when stories can do that. Peter Pan, on the other hand, is this film's... He wasn't the best, to be honest. I love the portrayal of him in the original, but maybe that's because in animated, he comes off as less of a brat. He comes off as a brat in animated form because he just seems very charming. But here, the actor, honestly, is not my favorite. I don't really want to complain about child actors because they don't they don't need that. I don't want to put that in their life. But I didn't fall in love with the character like I did in the original. I also didn't like the choice he made at the end, and I'm just going to leave it at that because they, they took some liberties with it. But it felt like it didn't he didn't really tr- learn the true lesson. Uh, but boy, did Wendy, because she is honestly a bigger part of this film than Peter Pan. Peter Pan is more of an idea in this movie. Um, the actress, I think, did a really good job. She's Mila Jokovic's daughter from uh, Fifth Element and stuff, and she's also Young Black Widow in that movie, and she was great. She gets much more to do here than the anime film, as it's called Peter Pan and Wendy, so Wendy would expect to do much more, and she has. And she has emotional moments that the actress really, really delivered. But I want to get some more of my negatives now. Uh, firstly, the first 30, 40 minutes are like direct, like a Lion King level adaptation of the anime film with nothing added. So I was getting kind of squeamish, but when the TikTok croc showed up, uh, the ball started rolling, and that was where we got the backstory of Peter Pan and Hook began to, came, began to come into play. And I also have to say some of the shots were really beautiful, like one at the final action scene with Peter jumping off the cliff onto the ship. But for the most part, it was so darkly lit the entire time. I understand making the London scenes darkly lit because it's like drabby human world, but Tinkerbell is supposed to bring like the warmth, but she never really did in this film. I liked in the animated film, she would like glow and she'd light up. They don't really do much with that here. They're supposed to bring Neverland to our world. Um... Speaking of Tinker Bell, she didn't have much to do, and she didn't really have the attitude that I love about the character. I mean, she was like shaking her booty tail all in the first one and messing with messing with Wendy. I mean, I understand when they cut those parts out, but at least give her some pers- other personality to to offset that. And all the people who made a kerfuffle about her race change, it does not matter in the slightest. Please be serious. Her race change, it didn't matter. And if you're review bombing this movie because of that. I don't, I don't, your opinion's not just, your opinion is not valid. Um, also, Neverland didn't really look like the paradise it was supposed to be. I think just making it like Greenland and Forest did not help sell the idea that a child would want to stay here forever. And then lastly, the biggest crime of this movie was that it isn't, wasn't released in theaters. If it was released in theaters, it probably would have had a bigger budget too to help with some of the action scenes and help with the CGI on Tinkerbell because it honestly distracted me every time I saw her because it looked so fake. It looked like her face was CGI. I'm like, this is a beautiful woman. Don't cloud it with CGI. But I really have liked to see this on the big screen. I really hate that I had to watch this at home, and it also doesn't have the same impact that it would have released in theaters. I honestly, I honestly do kind of want a sequel for this film with what they set up, but I really want the sequel to be on the big screen. It seems like all the studios have woken up to this, except for Netflix. <laughs> Netflix is like, nope, it's streaming or hell. So hell or high water, I'm like, oh, it's so annoying. Put your stuff in theaters. That's where it makes its money. And then it gets more people to watch it than on streaming. Us, they're such idiots. Netflix and their stock price is paying the price. So, <laughs> And hopefully big budgeted films like this never, ever go to streaming and get first again. Let them be seen on the big screen and then you can go to then you can go to streaming. So yeah, if you're looking for something to watch, I would totally I would totally check it out. If you, especially if Disney Plus, just pop it on. And maybe, maybe fast forward, if you're familiar, just fast forward to the 
to the um to the Skull Island, Skull Rock. Fast, just fast forward to the Skull Rock scene, and you'll be good. Start it from right there. There's nothing really new up till that point, so that's my advice. And then we got some new trailers. First of all, um, Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes trailer. I didn't talk about this last week because there was just so much to talk about, but we got a new trailer, and I really, I really miss the Hunger Games franchise. Um, my favorite book and film is Mockingjay Part Two, and then Mockingjay, the Mockingjay book itself. Um, Hunger Games was great. That book, I've I, I read, I watched all the movies, and then I read the book. That's what I like to do. I like to watch the movies first, and then I can take those pictures I have in my brain and then apply them to the book. But the books are fantastic, and so are the movies. That really got Jennifer Lawrence started. She was great, and she was a main part of why I loved those films. So I was wondering if they were going to be able to capture that same feel in this new movie. And I also I also have read the Hunger Games, Ballads, Songbirds, and Snakes. I've read that book, and that this film is based off of, and I really enjoyed it. I still would have Mockingjay in the first Hunger Games book above it, but I liked it better than the Catching Fire book. Um, the, speaking of the book, the first two acts were firing on all cylinders for me, but the third act kind of fell flat until the very end. But now, I want to get into the trailer. First of all, they showed so much of the book in the trailer. At least knowing the entire story, it, sh- they sh- it looks like they showed a lot. They even showed a clip from like the last scene in the movie, which I thought was funny. I really would have thought they would have saved like that whole third act, just catch out of the marketing, be- doing big misdirect, because that's what I would have done. Because you can tell when he changes haircuts, and that give you a hint into the time periods and stuff like that. But I would have just made it just the first two acts. So I'm just going to leave it at that, so I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, Rachel Zegler stars, and I really love the performances she gave in West Side Story, which she should have got an Oscar. She would have should have been nominated for an Oscar for, and then Shazam: Fury of the Gods. Fury of the Gods. She is a great, she is a great up and coming talent, and I love whenever she shows up. I'm not the biggest fan of her southern accent in this film, though. It threw me off a little, considering no one in District 12 in the original movies ever had a southern accent. At least I don't recall. I don't remember Jennifer Lawrence or um, Chris and Liam Hemsworth as. Liam Hensworth having a southern accent. I almost said Chris Hensworth's brother, and then I remembered his name. <laughs> um, Viola Davis and Peter Dinklage, they play villains here. Viola Davis, she looks stunning in her crazy outfits. Um, they both seem to do an incredible job. I love Peter Dinklage. I love Viola Davis. You, you've cast the two, favorite, two of my favorite actors. And Snow, Snow himself, he wasn't too notable to me, but Snow is my favorite. President Snow is my favorite character in the original trilogy of books and the movies i would argue he's one of the best villains in like cinematic history too and this book movie does a great job of setting up this villain because he does not start out as one so i hope they i hope they expand on that and i hope the actor gives a great job because i've never seen him in anything before but if you got cast in a high profile hunger games movie you gotta have impressed someone and i think donald donald sutherland is supposed to show up in here at the end like they cut to the future and i you can never have too much donald sutherland i love donald sutherland even when he pops up in what was the movie Ridley Scott? Not Ridley Scott. What was the What was the Moonfall? He even showed up in Moonfall. He made Moonfall great. His scene was fantastic. The movie sucked, but he was fantastic in Moonfall. And I also mentioned that we are in the beginning stages of the Hunger Games, so the technology is a lot older than the previous movies. But I wish, I wish the games didn't pl- take place in a crappy coliseum. I love the cool environments everybody has to fight with, like tsunamis and changing grounds and all those weird mutated animals. And it's so cool. I wish they would have changed that from the book because it just isn't as cinematic when you're just in like this like coliseum. It's it's kind of boring. But maybe they'll have some flourishes they're saving for the film itself. It's been like three years since I read the book, so I can't remember if they added a few things, but I don't think they did. I feel like they were just fighting in an arena, killing each other. No cool environments or anything. You got to make it interesting. I feel like it's such a capital person right now. But yeah, you got to make it interesting. You got to make it cinematic. <laughs> also, the technology must have really advanced in 60 years because they have like old tiny TVs here and the technology just looks nowhere near as it was in the original. Like I said, they had hybrid monkeys and wasps and the new ones. But yeah, hopefully this movie can perform in the crowded Thanksgiving landscape. And I think all Hunger Games fans are now 
going to come out of the woodworks and support this film. At least I hope they do, because Rachel Zegler, she really needs a win after the flops of West Side Story and Shazam 2. She also has Snow White coming out next, early next year, so hopefully she's going to have back-to-back hits after back-to-back flops. I really want it for her. I really want it for her, and I want this movie to be good. I want all those Thanksgiving movies that are coming out to do great. It just It's great when all movies do great, because more movies get made, and more people get to tell their stories. And then the other trailer we got is Dune Part 2. Um, I'm just going to some background. Dune Part 1. I thought it was a I thought it was a fantastic film when it got going, <laughs> but that was few and far between. I honestly don't think you needed to split the story into two because the first one was really, really boring in parts to me. It looked beautiful. The effects were amazing. The cinematography, the acting, all of it, all of it was top notch, top notch. But it definitely could have been just an hour and 45 minutes. I think it would have made for a much better film or just two films squished into one make it three hours. Um, the film spent most of the time setting up stuff that wouldn't be paid off to the sequel two years later, and as a fan who does not know the story, I purposely didn't read the book or anything, because I want my first exposure to be in the film. I have no idea what they're setting up, so I just didn't care for any of those scenes. Also, they killed Jason Momoa, which makes me sad. Don't kill Jason Momoa. <laughs> I know it happened in the book, but I still, I still, I love my Jason Momoa. <laughs> I did hear from many fans that the second half is full of tons and tons of action, although you see some, you see some visions he has with the tons of battle scenes, so that's what I want in my sequel. <laughs> um, the first trailer, though, doesn't really get my excitement up at all. I thought they would have come out and showed, like, a large battle scenes that we get to see in this film. Instead, they focus on, they focus most of the time on Paul learning to ride a sandworm, which looks cool, but it's mostly covered up by flying sand, and you can't see anything. And then the Javier Bardem is like, don't show off. And it's like, how do you show off trying to ride a sandworm? You can't see anything. It's sandal on your face. <laughs> um, Florence Pugh, she looks great as a new cast member, but as an other new cast member, I'm really not loving Austin Butler's look here with his... I, I know he didn't shave his head for it, but he has a shaved head. I'm sure, it's a bald cap and the pain on his face, but I'm going to wait to cuss judgment until I see the film, but eh, I'm not, I don't love it. <laughs> Timothy and Zendaya have great chemistry, and they are the one thing I love about this trailer. So, the stuff they're setting up with them, I've heard it, I don't know, I've heard the best things don't happen to Polly Trades, but, I mean, we'll see. I just, I wish they would have just up. it felt like just more of the first Dune, which people love, but I feel like it only made, what, $400 million? I know it was released on HBO Max and stuff, but too, but it didn't make an insane amount of money, and I think if you want to get... People on the people who saw the first movie are on board no matter what. But if you want to get the people who were just iffy about the first one, like most of my friends and me, then maybe you should have gone a little more Lord of the Rings ish with the giant battle scenes and stuff like that. They knew how to play up their trailers. So yeah, honestly, this didn't bump up my excitement at all, and I might have it might have actually lowered it. I really, as I said, I really want to see some large scale battles that were promised and less talking while being surrounded by miles of sand. Maybe I don't like the first Dune that much because I hate sand. That honestly might have a factor, like Anakin Skywalker. There's too much sand sometimes. I want my sci-fi, sci-fi. I don't want to be on a desert planet or on a planet that's black and white. I want color. I want color my sci-fi and fancy technology and stuff. So maybe maybe Dune just isn't for me. But yeah. So I know. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I want to see it, but I'm not too terribly looking forward to it, especially. No Tristan Momoa in my sequel, but it makes me sad. Although, I respect it. He died in the book, but still. I love Jason Momoa. <laughs> um, lastly, uh, the writer's strike. This is uh, absolutely huge news. Um, all writers have gone on strike, and the actors and directors might follow soon. 
Um, I want to break down why this happened and then the immediate effects it'll pose on the industry. Writers are just not being paid. They're worth one bit. Uh, they want guaranteed amount of writers for a writer's room, like 6 to 12 people, because the writers are being asked to do too much for too little, especially when you split it up between people. It's just they're not getting paid enough to support themselves. They also want to know the stats of streaming, like how many people watch stuff, so they can better negotiate their deals, their uh, residuals, because they get a slice of the pie. So if someone watches it, they can see the revolts, results and better negotiate. Right now, no one can see the results of streaming other than studios. And the people that came to the negotiating table, they asked for this, and the studios just straight up said, no, we can't do that. We don't know how to do that. They know. They know how many people watch a show. Let's be serious here. They also they also want the complete eraser of AI used in writing script use in writing scripts. They can't use their their own scripts to help train AI, which is great clause, and they can't use AI to help get started on a script so that they would pay the writer less. I don't understand why these idiots that run the studios think that AI would be good for the creative medium. It takes a human love to make a great movie, not robots. And it also came out this a couple days ago that some studios have already looked at using AI to adapt um, like public domain stories like fairy tales to adapt that and then have writers come and finish add the finished touches. What you idiots? Why are you doing this? You're just some pe- people deserve their pay, and you think you're gonna make great movies by using AI? I, I if a movie comes out being made by AI that's written by AI, I will not go see it. I promise you, I will not go see it. It's not happening because it's just that's awful for the medium of film. That's awful for human creativity, and it makes me sad. Technology is supposed to be there to help us progress and to help us with everyday things, but not to take over a creative process that requires human hands. They're just going to write stuff that's based off of stuff that's happened before. We're just going to cliche after cliche after cliche. It's not the solution. Studio heads, use your millions of dollars you own and screw off. Don't mess with this stuff. But ultimately, Ashir here is better pay. These writers are not getting paid enough to to where they can support themselves without getting a second job. The right what the writers asked for would have cost the studios four hundred and eighty million dollars, and the producers came back offering close to eighty million. The studios didn't even negotiate. This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think now it's come out that if this strike goes on for more more than a couple months, the studios could use out in like ten billion dollars in stock market value and stuff like that. So I'm like. Is this really worth it to you, you idiots? You have CEOs. I'll name one specifically. David Zaslav of Warner Brothers Discovery, who's making $280 million himself and has removed shows from HBO Max so those writers and the actors and the directors, they don't get their residuals. Residuals happen in all forms of media so people will continue to make money off the project along with the studios making their money. It's a win-win. Like Air Jordan. they get a, Jordan gets a piece of pie and Nike gets a piece of pie. Everybody wins. <sighs> Zaslav's empire was built with writers and he just doesn't respect them. None of the studios do. All the studio heads are at fault do because they wouldn't even negotiate one bit. I am full support of this writer's strike. I stand with the writers because these people deserve what they're asking for. And most of these studios, they can't afford it. Striking means that no one can write anything, so things are going to get delayed and a lot of stuff canceled, which is sad that more jobs are going to be in open up, but these people that are already working, they deserve to be fairly compensated. House of Dragons Season 2 is continuing to film. Basically, any show that has currently has a writer's room and has been put on hold, and same with the films. The movies coming out this year will be fine, but next year, man, is it's going to hurt the quality of film because that's the point. They are showing the studios how valuable they are, and they are 100% right. Many think the strike could last until Labor Day, but I hope not. I hope the studios, I hope these studio heads come to their senses and pay these people what they're worth. After losing a ton of market share during COVID, you think they want to keep up the great pace we have going now with Mario and Avatar and all these films making tons of money? You think they want to keep it going, but no, they're just not going to pay their writers. It's not even that much money to compare to the grand scheme of things. Really? To let these people live? Maybe cut down on some of the big actors' salaries. Maybe Robert Downey Jr. doesn't mean make $100 million for the next Avengers film. Maybe give, maybe give like 500 grand to the writer. Not even that much. They just need like 
maybe 100, 200 grand a year for the work they're putting in, not 30 grand for six months of work. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Ugh. Sorry for the rant here, but I just think it's just so sad seeing the greed in the in the film industry that I love. And these people are just ruining it with AI and now just not paying these people. And I just, I really hope they can come to their sentence and reach an agreement with the bees people because they deserve it. They deserve it. <sighs> now, I just want to mention what's coming next week. Book Club Chapter 2 is the new film coming out with me. I haven't seen the first one. Just throwing this out here for people who like these types of movies. But I'm good. And I'm definitely not seeing this. I, Jane Fonda, I love you. Sally Field, I think she might be in this. I'm not sure. Seems like the type of movie she's in. Maybe she was just made for Brady. Who knows? But those type of movies. I hope y'all have fun seeing that. But I think I'm good. But thank you for listening. Did you check out Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Did it make you cry? Did you watch Peter Pan and Wendy? And what are your thoughts? Do you stand with the writers or not? Please let me know all on all of our social media platforms. I'm at Seen It All Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please follow us. And make sure to come back next week. We still have probably tons of news to talk about. But thank y'all for listening. Bye-bye.